The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, the wheat harvest of Minturno, making oraquete with Nunzia, and winemaking in the Republic of Georgia as we talk to TV show host and creator Michaela Malazzi of Bare Feet. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my amazing, spectacular, incredibly awesome friend, Sandra Bernstein. Oh, that <laughs> was even better than last week. Oh my getting God, better. how do you keep getting better and better? I don't I know. Just, I just miss you more and more every week. I miss you too, Brian, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I get to see you. You and my Chamber of Commerce, you're my basic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can count on right now. Have you guys but, been um, Zoom, have you been Zoom bombed lately? Uh, no Zoom bombing. We're, we're okay. all getting smart. Uh-oh, Zoom bomb might be coming in right now. No, well, don't I say that. I am um, very excited to introduce an old friend. And again, this isn't someone that's old. This is someone that I've known for a while, at least 20-some years. Um, Matt Dolan, who is the chef owner of 25 Lusk. And but before you opened the restaurant, where were you? Um, well, it's, thanks for having me. First of all, this is great. Um, I, I started out in New York City uh, back in the dark ages. Um, and before I moved to the Bay Area, I was in uh, Helsinki, Finland, of all places. So, Fabulous. I got lost. You know, it's, it's nice to be young and uh, single. Oh, you, were, so you weren't married then? No, no. I was just kind of traveling and I had two bags and could fit my life into my two bags. So, oh. how, do you, how do you end up in Finland, though? So I was, I was working out e uh, back east, um, and our pastry chef was a Finnish guy, and he decided that he was going to go home and open a restaurant, and it went very well. So I went by to just kind of stage and work with them for about three months, and then they went on to open their second restaurant, asked me to take over Helsinki, and again, perpetually single and young and pretty stupid. I said, sure, why not? But it was the best thing I could have done because I met my wife there, and uh, you know, so it was for a reason, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And it must be beautiful there. Finland? I mean, that beautiful is a big word. Uh, it, it, has, it, it has its beautiful parts, but... Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, not where you were so much? No, I mean, it, was, it is. I mean, it's a, a historical city. It's, it's got a lot of classic European charm, but, um, you know, the, there's, not, there's not a whole lot beautiful about Finland in the winter. It's dark, it's oh, cold. Yeah, cold, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, so what's the what's the language there? It's Finnish. It's, they have their own. I mean, there's only in the language tree. There's only two other countries that are that have associated languages, and it's Hungary and Estonia, um, and Finland. They're all part of the same root language. So it's a can it's a tricky speak, one. Can you speak that language? No, 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 no. I, I learned <laughs> I learned a handful of it, but um, it's it's, uh, it's a tricky one. They say it's as as challenging for a Westerner to learn as Japanese. So. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Doesn't it? Doesn't that like the chef in the Muppets? The hurt to der to der. Isn't oh, that guy that? That's the sweetest chef. <laughs> okay. If, if any, and my apologies for Brian if any Finns are listening right now. Yeah, I know all his in-laws. Um, what about um, the gnomes come from Finland? Some of that's them. That's true. 
Yes, I'm a gnome. I'm a gnome collector. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, so after Finland, you came back. I did. I came back, and then um, and I came to San Francisco, and uh, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And my my one of my very best friends, who was once an employee of yours, Sandra Dustin Rogi, um, kind of helped show me around the city a little bit, and we. Uh, I, found, I ended up finding a job that didn't stick in Pacific Heights. And then I said, okay, at that point, my, my wife and I were married and we were expecting our first child and the job in Pacific Heights didn't really work out. So we weren't sure what we were gonna do. A few months went by and an opportunity to convert a giant warehouse in San Francisco's South Market District arrived. And sure enough, we said, what the heck, let's do it. So we raised absolute boatload of money and converted <laughs> this thing and ultimately the the design and the vision kind of became more of a team of 14 than a team of one so oh. it, um we uh but we went for it and and it's you know it's it survived the test of of time you know we're we turned 10 this summer so that's it's, awesome it's been a good run that's a beautiful yeah. space well thank you very much yeah it yeah. really is Thank you. The, um, what is 20, is that, a, is that the address? It's the street address. I mean, okay. it's one of those obscure little alleys tucked in the city. So we figured let's just, when people go to Google us, they'll, they'll find it easier. I mean, uh -huh. <laughs> no smart plan. Yeah, the designer wanted to call it carbon, but then we thought that sounded like a gay nightclub. Not like there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> it definitely wasn't the plan. So we, we, uh -huh. we stuck with the address. Yeah. The, um, so yeah, so there was a period of time where we had three CIA alumni, and that was Dustin, Alicia Fredrickson, and Adam Lovelace. Were yes. you in the class with them? I, was, I wasn't in class with Adam, but I knew Adam very well. <laughs> and I think the story goes that Adam, didn't Adam move to India to become a yogi? He's back. He's a yogi. He's a Sonoma yogi. He is. Okay. Yes, he's <laughs> Probably one of, the, one of the sweetest guys I've ever met in my life. Completely. Mm -hmm. Completely. He's a Sonoma gay yogi. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you've, I mean, he's going every different tribe. Definitely. The um, I I run into him every once in a while, but the three of them all went to CIA at the same time. They all kind of knew each other, um, and actually, it was the time when Dustin was at the Girl in the Fig as a manager, but he was the opening GM when we opened Petaluma. I remember that. And yeah, he was so, he he's one of the best front of the house guys I've ever known. Mm -hmm. Okay, it, not counting you, Brian, not counting you, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, bro. Oops, Brian, what, sorry. Am, what am I, Chup, liver? I said one of, one Sandra, of. Sandra, what was it, was that the girl in the gaucho uh, now, in Petaluma? I wish, it, I wish I did the girl in the gaucho there. We did the girl in the fig. And so it was, and it was where the river cafe used to be right there on the water. River house. Yeah. Right, right on the okay. water in that funky old Victorian. I, but, I um, moved that building to that spot. What? I opened up that restaurant when I was 17. Joel you Cooper's moved? that building used to be somewhere else. And you we cut we, down we, the river. It used to be uh, <laughs> closer to uh, off of Washington. And we cut it in half and put it on semi trucks and moved it and put it back together on and the that, river. This is one of those things Brian makes up shit on our podcast <laughs> all, all the time. You're like, where I, are you coming I from? I remember I remember 
Joel Cooper Smith was the investor. Lou Chambrone was the chef. And we opened up that place. And for some reason, it, we had a great chef and a great team. And it was a beautiful, beautiful house. And you're right there on the water. And for some reason, nothing that has gone into that building has been successful. It's like got some bad juju or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds almost like your Westfield story because it's like, you know, you go in, you have all these high hopes and you think there's potential, you know, there's growth coming and then you are met with a whole different demographic, one that you never expected you would ever meet <laughs> in your life. Oh no, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's in the wind, the wind shifts and the next thing yep. you know, you're dead at sea. It's, it's yeah, exactly. what it is. So. Yeah, and you know, when you start, I, I, it, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like when we started having to like think about, you know, people are like, so what night is your two for one? You know, mm -hmm. what time does your early bird special start? Um, well, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to kill my other restaurant brand. Yeah, you know? totally. And if I called it something else, it would have been a whole different ball game. You know, so we, we could have really bounced around. No, we really, we had, we, in 2014, we had the same conversation where we said, do we call this tap 415 by 25 Lusk or do we do that? And we kind of, I'm glad we didn't because that could have, exactly. that could have been damaging, you know? Right, right. So, but where did you meet Dustin? So I met Dustin in culinary school. Okay. Um, and he was, he was uh, in a class just a, a, a few months ahead of me in the system. And, um, and it turned out that we were both avid skiers. So we were at a bar and we had a mutual friend and we started talking and then one weekend we went skiing and we were both jumping off of cliffs and rocks and acting <laughs> like complete idiots. And, uh, and that was it, it was friendship after that. And then when we, were, when we went on to the management program, we became even closer friends and kind of had the same, the same outlook on hospitality and also we also, knew how to have a pretty good time so and um, ethics ethics you well, guys are both ethical well you know dustin's my business partner now we have a we have a small consulting company on the side oh and fabulous so when dustin left water bar um he was done with the dining room he had had enough and um and so he's you know now he went on to get his mba and now he's teaching at the color institute of america and he was he's been approached so many times for consulting work that he reached out to he reached out to me and uh, Chad Borden, my business partner over at 25 Lusk, who's also very dear friends with Dustin. Is Chad the three musketeers? He, he's the third, right? He's the third, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, and Chad, Dustin finally reached out to us and said, guys, I'm getting a lot of inquiry for work here. What do you think? And so, I mean, that was two years ago, and we've had 26 projects since then. So it's been... Wow. It was a good way to reinvent ourselves. And just before the quarantine hit, we were we were kind of looking at about a dozen different projects and we actually still landed one. So now we have one client. That's our, our <laughs> ongoing job. Um, a tiny little place, but no, Dustin's doing great. And his, I think his standard of ethics are absolutely unparalleled. I mean, I, he's trustworthy and, and he, he means what he says. And, and I think that's probably why he said it's time. He couldn't BS his way through an, another service. He was just like, you know what? Yeah. Let me just go teach. And, and he's happy, you know, he's really happy. Yeah. So. But Chef, what does that mean for the consulting? Is that going into restaurants when they're opening and getting the staff trained, or is that doing sort of reboots on places? So we have a we have a pretty uh, extensive a la carte list of what we're willing to do. I mean, there's some things we're not willing to do. We don't want to. We'll do the pre-opening. We'll be their pre-opening lifeline. So 
We help hire and vet management. Uh, we'll build you a pro forma, uh, set up all your vendors, get all your accounts kind of locked in so you can worry about all the stuff you just bought and if you have enough money in the bank. Um, and then we've also done the closing end where you're just like, I don't know how to tie this thing up and, and there's the legal side. And so we essentially, we kind of just help you build the team um, so you can focus on actually making your vision a reality or shutting it down. We try to stay away from the ongoing restaurants because if you're in the middle of it and you've been open for five years and then you realize, okay, we're in trouble, we need some help, you're probably in so much trouble that it's, you're already done for. Um, we did that once and it did not work out. And it's also very frustrating work because oftentimes restaurant owners that get to that year five or six point and they don't understand why they've lost money every year, um, their, their ratings aren't very good and they're just like, what are we doing wrong? And when the answer is everything, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> you know? And so the other thing is that they'll bring you on, you'll sign a six month contract and then after 30 days, they tend to say, okay, thanks. We've got it. We'll take it from here. We haven't figured out. I mean, we almost opened uh, a restaurant in Petaluma. Um, that was a San Diego based company that moved up to, moved up to Northern California and they, they wanted us for some reason. So we said, okay, great. And we went to San Diego. We ended up working on their San Diego restaurants. And then when it was time to open Petaluma, they had hired a director of operations. And she came in and basically said, sorry, guys, you're done. And we said, okay, well, that's, that's unfortunate, but good luck with whatever it is you're doing. And, um, and then the CEO of the company, she's now in prison. The restaurants, <laughs> and the restaurants in, in Sonoma County have all closed. So, you know, it's like sometimes, so the consulting business, it's like a roller coaster in a way, you know, it's, it could be super exciting and fun. It could be terrifying. It could be boring. I mean, it's like, you know, so we, we keep it wide open. We don't, we don't follow one structured thing. We kind of go in and assess what, what, what do you really need? And then, you know, and we're also cheap. So, <laughs> so, so it helps us. People ask me like so many times, like, why don't you go into consulting? You know, you'd be a good consultant. And I, what I'm really, really bad at is charging. Yes, oh, us too. No, yeah, we're terrible. I just want to help people. We opened a hotel right across the street from the baseball stadium in San Francisco and these two Irish guys that own it and the management team they brought in was, they were absolutely lovely. A bunch of Palo Alto folks, really sweet and kind of had this sort of small town approach to a city hotel. And we just focused on food and service because we don't know hotels at all. Um, and I found, we found ourselves there, like we probably, we probably billed them for a third of the hours we actually worked. And then their chef was sick on the opening day. So I went in and gave, did line up and gave their like, <laughs> welcome to day one speech. And I'm like, you're not getting paid to do this. You know, you kind of have to slap yourself in the face and say, this is not my restaurant. Yeah. This is not yeah. mine. Uh, oh, no, and I, I don't know how, I'm not sure what the future of that business holds. I mean, I think we'll see what the rate of attrition looks like and we'll see who makes it out on the other side. And But will they have enough disposable income or are they just going to have to, scale things down and muscle through it that's really the question so well or donald trump says we're still going to have all these restaurants they'll just all be new owners and yeah there's the answer right because that makes yeah. perfect sense yeah Good so, uh, so you, you might be real you busy think? yeah <laughs> are you are you in touch with a lot of um chefs in the city i mean i, I am yeah i am I, mean, I, okay? I, I i don't have a ton of friends i, I work too much but um I, I i've kept in touch with quite a few i joined a facebook group um called the uh the chef's lounge or something 
And I'm still part of the James Beard Foundation's California Chefs Action Network mm -hmm. and the national one too. So I subscribe to their blogs. And I'm, 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 I used to just read it every once in a while. I'm now reading it frantically every day or reading or following up with them every day. And it's funny to hear about the people that are just like, you know, the big topic on the, on the table right now is what's going to happen tomorrow with the PPP. You know, exactly. What's that? What is what is the what is the net result of that vote going to be? I mean, if, if eight weeks becomes twenty six weeks, we stand a chance. Exactly. You it's, know? it's night and day. I mean, the, the, and and I don't blame half of these restaurateurs that are that are giving the money back because when they they put it in the bank and they're like, okay, there's some relief. But I mean, I don't. I can't justify using a thousand hours of labor right now. I don't have that much work for people to do, and so. I could do that, but then the other, the other thing that I'm most concerned about, and this is, I mean, this is the topic on the table right now, is I can bring back half my staff, and I can afford to pay them for probably 20 weeks out of the 26, if it extends. After 20 weeks, am I going to be able to sustain the business? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, private dining is a thing of the past, I think, until 2021. So what am I going to do? And then you run the risk of saying, hey, remember that time that I fired you? Well, now I'm going to fire you again, you know? <laughs> oh, we've, got, we've done it twice so far. Yeah, but I mean, then, so are people really going to be willing to come back for a round three? Or are they all going to start driving from, for Amazon and say, enough of this, you know? I need something that I can rely upon, especially people with, um, with children and families, you know? I, I just, that's, everybody's asking that question, like, what are you hearing? What's happening? What's your plan? And my plan is to stick the money in the bank, hope it extends for 26 weeks. And, uh, and see what happens. Have you spent any of it yet? Uh, I have, yeah. yeah. So the part, the part that we found, and we, we lawyered up for this one just because we didn't want to mess it up, um, was that there is some rent forgiveness and there is some um, vendor forgiveness. So I took, I guess it was 25% of it you can, you mm -hmm. can distribute to vendors. So we took 25% of the total sum and got caught up with all of our vendors mm -hmm. in the anticipation that if we're going to reopen, I'm going to need them just as much as I'm gonna need my staff. And at the time, the vendors were already a little bit like, hey, by the way, you remember tap four and five? You might still owe me some money. And you could sit there and play stupid all you want and say, no, 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 those are two different restaurants. Two different restaurants. They're like, no, same guys, so nice try. Um, so, you know, we, we had to play that, that sort of very delicate dance, um, but we took care of that. And then I brought back only two. I mean, at one point we were, we had 87 people on staff. So we're never gonna be like that again. But we're never going to do night cleaning again. We're never going to have, I don't think dishwashers are going to happen for, for the foreseeable future. I'm getting pretty good at it. So, um, you know, it's like, it's, I think, and the people that I did bring back, I said, hey, remember you used to be a sous chef. Well, sous chefs don't exist anymore. We are just teammates. And right. every teammate mops and sweeps and preps and cooks and cleans and still fills out your prep list at the end of the night and goes home and that's it. Yeah. And people and the reaction I'm getting and some of my, some of our colleagues are getting too with that same approach is people are just happy to be able to go back to work. And you know, this brings up another topic is that they're happy to go back to work, but they're even more so happy um, because if you're, if they're undocumented, not that I would know, but if they're undocumented, <laughs> um, then they're not signing up for unemployment because they're terrified. The system yeah, right. is already too scary. Right. So, and you know, my AM sous chef, he told me this and I'm like, but you got your green card three years ago. He's like, yeah, yeah I'm still exactly. not touching that we thing. He would get money. He would, we've gotten a lot of our, our staff that were scared to go on. And that's just telling us 
what we don't want to know. Right. But we've been able to sit with them with their paperwork and get them on the plan. So we tried that with a number of people. Uh -oh. And even my, my former general manager is on, an, on, on unemployment and he's probably making about 70 grand a year on unemployment. And I'm telling these guys, look, maybe let this guy talk you through what he did. And the answer is still nope. They're, they, wow. want, they want to check. They don't want to run anything through the government. They don't want the. Oh, they, they don't. They don't want to do it. They're they so want scared. Distance, yeah. as much yeah. distance as they can from an untrustworthy government. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I don't blame them. I don't I, blame them either. Yeah. So. It's a shame. It is, but I mean that's so the, the 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 industry as at large in the city of San Francisco. This is the topic on the table, mm -hmm. and I think it's I think it's nationally the same conversation. Probably. Um, I still I still keep in touch with. Uh, some of my my colleagues in Finland, and they only opened, they reopened last week, but Finns don't hug and kiss and shake hands as much as we do, so <laughs> they kind of already grew up socially distancing, so it's, uh -huh. oh, you know, for them it's it's a safer reality, but um, but this country is just too big, and it's, it's still a little too much the wild, wild west, and, you know, the laws are meant to be broken, so it's, I think, and that's the other thing, when we do reopen, I think people are still going to be very nervous. So even if we can open at 50% capacity, I don't think we're going to hit it, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, and even that's what I was saying to Brian. I mean, for us to open, I mean, we probably have to spend 15 grand or so just on food product, just yep. to start making stocks and, you know, just from the ground up doing everything. And there's no guarantee that you're going to have customers. And then what? You're going to throw food out again or... You know, it's interesting, the cafe we're doing to go and mm -hmm. delivery on the weekends, and we're doing our own delivery using okay. staff that, you know, we're, we're using. Um, and the cafe numbers are almost better than it was when we were open. Jeez. So it's like, why do we ever open the cafe again? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, right. definitely not at 50 or 25% less occupancy. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I mean, our... My landlord, luckily, is also my primary investor. Oh, and good. They went back to their lending institution, which is Bank of America, I believe, and they received a three-month deferment on mortgage payments. So I don't have to even think about paying rent again until August 15th, which is great, but August 15th will be here tomorrow. Exactly. And, and I'm I going to be able to make enough money to bring back the staff, start making my PPP payments if we don't get the 26-week and it stays at eight weeks. Um, you know, these are these are the questions that we I just can't I just can't answer. Am I? Did I? Right. Just get, am, I am I still there? I'm still. Yeah, there. yeah, you're good. See you? Yeah. Okay. Um, I I actually I was invited to speak to Congress, okay. and um, it was all about the PPP. And then I watched the voting, and I watched them pass it, only for the Senate to go. We're not going near this. There's no way. And now there's two bills that are supposed to be passed or voted on this week um, that are bipartisan bills, all good stuff for us on the PPP. Right. But I still, I don't know. It's, we have till June 15th. So, okay. I mean, we got our money, what, April 15th. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's scary. It is scary. We've spent, we've spent a good amount. So but you, when you had to, that was the whole point of it. Ex but, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the EIDL is the next one that's coming through and we were just approved. And the reason that the, EI, the EIDL loans um, make sense is that they don't, they're not, they don't conflict with the PPP. 
um, from, from our understanding. And the terms are like 30 years at three and a half percent. Did you have to put your house up for that? No, oddly, we were able to, even though the, the physical real estate of 25 Lusk is over leveraged, um, they were still willing to, to get in line on the building. So, okay. so that, that definitely, yeah, I'm a renter also, so I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to, I could try. I'm sure my landlord. Yeah, <laughs> oh. but, uh. yeah. I know. I, that's the whole thing with us. It's like the collateral, um, yeah. you know, and it's interesting because if you think it's a hundred, if you think it's going to be a hundred percent, you don't mind putting the collateral up. But at this point, it's like, ooh, I don't know. Well, the EIDL is shrinking rapidly. I mean, I can just give you the numbers. I mean, at one point they were talking about upwards of $2 million. And then the next week it was a million bucks. And then the, it's capped. I don't know what the cap is now, but we got in last week and the cap is at $150,000. And that's, that's not game changing numbers for us, but that's super right. helpful because it, it, you know, if, cause if PPP doesn't change, at least that's going to give us a bridge you know, yeah. to start generating some revenue and right. what that, and what that means, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. So right. who, who, who knows? Oh, I know. I just, Oh, keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. Um, so. Well, Hey Sandra, do you guys think that the demographic of your restaurant is going to make a difference coming out of this? Like if, if, you know, you have people that are generally under 40 or under 50, as opposed to a restaurant where, most of your clientele is 60 and over or something like that because you know I don't, you can mm -hmm. tell from footage coming out of virginia over the weekend young people don't seem to be afraid of um, right. going out and mixing with each other so i'm just wondering if if, if that's gonna you know the restaurants that are going to survive the first few months coming back are going to be the ones that are sort of the hip trendy no uh, i think it's the republicans <laughs> <laughs> I think the Republicans will be out in the restaurants. <laughs> I don't think it matters what age they, they are. No, I'm kidding. Um, you might be right. <laughs> it's what my heart of heart tells me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I did a survey of, um, you know, a couple of questions, and I got over 550 responses back, which is, like, so crazy unheard of um, for, like, 5,000 people that got it. And, um, you know, people fit over 50% were like, we'll wait and see, you know, they just want to see what happens. And I kind of, I want to wait and see too, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if you guys aren't going to go out, then why do I want to, you know, buy all this plexiglass and, you know, all these crazy things. I mean, I what, is, what did Saul say at Cafe La Haye when he opened up? Um, is he allowing people to go in and use the restroom even though they're just dining outside? Yeah. And so then I don't, is he... no, I, don't I didn't ask him if anybody did use it, but right. I don't think you can serve people and not have your restroom. Restroom. Right. I don't think so. So then I'm so, wondering if, if, if he's, you know, has the same concerns where if someone goes and uses the restroom now, is he sending someone in there to clean yes. the restroom? He yes. is. He is. Oh. Wow. Okay. He, I mean, he actually that's... brought another person in just to do that. Okay. Yeah. So it's not someone. So, so that's someone who that's their only job. No, they probably clear plates and do whatever also. Okay. So yeah, yeah like, like Matt was saying, I think maybe that's going to be part of coming back is, you know, and this typically happens when you, um, when restaurants aren't doing so well and they, they lose personnel, all of a sudden 
other people absorb those tasks. Mm -hmm. So that might be something where, you know, people come back to work, but it's like, well, I know you're normally do this, but we've added a few things to your to your job description. And, and one of them is cleaning bathrooms or one of them is mopping or, uh, you know, Matt, were you a tip pooling house or did you have a service fee on the check? We had no. So for private events, we had a service charge. And then in this past year, we realized that we were overpaying people like crazy. I mean, we would have a $50,000 event and someone would get paid $700 to stand there and do very little. Yeah, crazy. So we, switched, we switched to an hourly and then charge a service charge. So the house started taking a little bit more to offset some of the losses in the main dining room. Mm -hmm. um, and no, we never pulled tips for the a la carte service. We just, yeah. we tried at one point and it was, it was just utter chaos and mayhem. And we had really talented people that had been with us since opening right. and that were just like, so wait a minute. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go sell a $5,000 bottle of wine and that guy's gonna benefit? I don't think so. So we went, we went back to just mm -hmm. standard tipping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it's interesting also the, uh, the re kind of redefining people's jobs. That is really the topic on the table. Um, and like I tell my business partner every day, who is very good at sitting in his office and telling a team of managers what to do. And I was like, here's a broom. This is called a mop. <laughs> right. Get your butt downstairs and let's get to it, you know, because yeah. I'm not doing this alone. So, yeah. you know, it's, oh, my God. That's funny. Pro probably John is thinking the same thing. I really have not left my house in two months. <laughs> I walk the dog around the block um, in the morning. Today, I actually picked up um, prescriptions curbside. Okay. But John is there. And he is just doing it all. And I'm, do I'm working harder than I've ever worked. Mm -hmm. I'm just in front of my computer all day long. Well, I mean, that's, and that's a, that's a, that's a, a reasonable yeah. partnership, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, one thing that I was telling uh, to my business partner, Chad, you know, the other day, I said, look, when we reopen, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'm not, I'll, I'll pick the people that want the work. And, the, and if I get any pushback from anybody, hit the bricks because there are so many people there that are, are looking tons, for work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And not, not saying that's a good thing, but it's just a reality. Yeah. And so what I what happened when unemployment was at 2% or 1.8% only a year ago, well, then I remember I remember the interview process a year ago was, let me check your pulse. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? That's pretty Don't much Don't walk right. out. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. You call me a bad name, die, don't worry about it. Come on. You know, like, it just, it just became, it was, it was so virtually impossible to find anybody. And so if anything that I, that owners need to really kind of embrace right now is you're going to have to wash dishes. You're going to have to do some work and you're going to have to lead by example. And you're going to have to be a little more shrewd with your staff and less forgiving. I mean, I think that, you know, for your own sanity. I mean, I, if I talked to me a year ago, I'd walk into my dish pit and I'd have three dishwashers in the main dining room level and two of them are on their phones. Right. My answer, my answer <laughs> Hey, would you please not do that or wait till you break or you know now first of all the dishwashers right. won't exist but now it's right. we can we can run sort of yes. tighter ships we're gonna have to have to yeah have to because i mean even just with the minimum wage uh even though i don't think we'll be polishing silverware for quite a while <laughs> no. um you know but like the thought of you know paying someone 15 dollars to just like you know wipe a knife every minute was just mm -hmm. painful well, I wanted to reach out to the Chefs Action Network and the James Beard Foundation. I mean, Catherine Miller's a, a, 
I have, we have a pretty good connection and she's, uh, she's been very good about spending time on Capitol Hill. And I know that there's been a bill in place in the state, on the state of California level, but I don't know if, it, if she can go, all, if, I don't know if, if she's that granular, but um, this state regulation that restaurants can't consider tips as employee income, that needs to go. I mean, where I'm from, you know, where I started my career in New York City, back then servers were still making 500 bucks, but they were paid $3.50 an exactly. hour. You know? And if, if the state of California can get their mind around a tip consideration, um, that would be of huge help to all of us, I think. Yeah. I don't think it can happen because uh, the California Restaurant Association is against it. Ugh. And, um, you know, so like when there are represent. <clears throat> excuse me, when there are representatives and they're really, they're having pressure from the unions. Okay. And so that's kind of where that stuff's coming from. But um, yeah, I remember being in Senator Dodd's office and we're just like, you know, this is crazy. We've got people making $500 a day, you know, and, you know, as this minimum wage creeps up, we don't have the money to keep elevating the back. No, and then and you think attack on... Sense. And then tack on universal health care to that, and then you're just putting yeah. restaurants out of business. And I mean, I'm wondering if in this post-apocalyptic restaurant world that we're about to enter, um, if, they would, if they would change their minds, because I think one of the most compelling Maybe. arguments for this is that, so it's not considered income, even though they are employees and they have to pay taxes on that money. Right. So please explain to me how that's not income. Right. You know? And you know, I can't believe we pay the credit card fees on those tips. That's right. That's right. You know, and there's no, you can't credit back. You can't, there's nope. nothing you can do with that. It's, it's, it's totally lopsided. It, it's, um, it's insane. I, uh -huh. I just like, how did we like fall in love with this business? <laughs> I know. And why does anyone open a restaurant? I don't even know <laughs> yes, anymore. Yeah. yeah. So Brian is the psalm at the Fairmont. Okay. Um, Snow Mission Inn. And um, yeah, poor, I mean, his, hi, Edward, if you're listening, <laughs> Edward and I see each other every morning on the Zoom call. And, you know, he's trying to figure out the hotel, you know, how to get things back going and, and events. And we just, as of today, we moved our last, the weddings that we had from June through August, mm -hmm. we got them all moved to next year. Oh, wow. So now wow. we have a couple months to wait until the September and October stuff comes and where we're going to be for that. I don't think we're going to be able to have them, right. um, but it's just like fighting for the deposits. Right, exactly. It's like, oh my God. And people don't think, people think it's just free money that we're just holding their money and we haven't done anything to deserve that money. No, and that's, that's crazy. I mean, we're, we're in the exact same position. I mean, December... December is company holiday season, and that's where we do, I think we probably we do about, I would say, 20% of our annual business happens in December. Wow. Yep. And I mean, we've had seven-figure Decembers before. It's been crazy. And we start booking December and January. So, right. you know, when uh, all this happened, one thing we were looking at when we watched our bank account just funneling down was, oh, God, what if... <laughs> What if they come knocking? What if this lasts so long that we can't actually fulfill these events? Um, and we've had to pay, we've had to pay a good amount of money back. Yeah. And that's and that's that was challenging as well. So I mean, I, as much as you want to send send some compelling message that look, 
you know, just give us a year. I mean, not everybody has that kind of patience. And then with social distancing and protocols, the party looks differently. So how can we charge yeah. them the same, you know? Right. And no guidance on how many people or how much space for how many people. And if you have a number of people, how many can be staff? Mm -hmm. you know, do you have to cut down the guest count if you have staff in there? I don't know. I don't know either. We're, we're actually curating an event right now, which we think is pretty funny. And maybe it's not the time to be funny or, or think you're funny, but um, about this kind of like wrapping the whole, uh, we have a downstairs bar and lounge and wrapping the whole lounge and sort of like this, these tarps and, and all the servers have to wear biohazard suits. And, <laughs> and really having like a, a biohazmat event where, you know, making them wear those. I saw, I saw somebody on the internet doing this, these pool noodles so they, yes, can't, yes. <laughs> they can't get near one another. And then having somebody just walk around with sanitizing spray and really saying, okay, you want to feel safe? Now we're, in a way, <laughs> going to take a, a bit of a sarcastic approach to it. But um, So we were considering that. I'm pushing for it because I think it would actually make people feel safe. It and, it would, would, and people would, would enjoy some humor around it all. I think everybody needs a, needs, to, needs a smile and a laugh right now, you know? And yeah. so we'll see if we go forward with it. But... Um, so the um the other thing i was thinking so you actually what did you was it a motorcycle accident yeah yeah i was it's funny not a funny story but it was july 2nd last year i was um i was on my harley davidson and i was driving to the restaurant from my home in the southern part of san francisco and um and i was going about probably 30 miles an hour on the streets and uh, oncoming motorist who was actually a uh, a, a lift driver um, made going about 40 miles an hour, made a sudden left turn, uh, clearly didn't see me and sent me flying across the intersection. Uh, the motorcycle was no more and I have about four and a half pounds of metal plates and a reconstructed foot and oh my God. Um, yeah, and it was, they were, they were, they were talking amputation up until November of last year and wow. they, they basically stuck it out and lots of physical therapy and just trying to keep your chin up and saying, look, I'm going to, I'll make it back to the kitchen one of these days. And you're I don't there. know, the power of will, I guess, yep. you know, yep. but um, I had a great surgeon and an amazing team and my, my wife couldn't have been more incredible and helpful and supportive and my chef de cuisine at the restaurant, she, she carried the place for me and, and uh, so I was very lucky to be surrounded by so many just fantastic people that allowed me to kind of get back into the rhythm of life, so, you know. Were you at uh, San Francisco General? I was at San Francisco General um, for the first two days, and then I went into the UCSF system after that. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I had a similar thing happen. Mine, mine was on Lombard, and I was okay. I was working at the Four Seasons on Market. Mm -hmm. Was coming home and was on Lombard, and someone left it right in front of me, and uh, I've got plates and screws because um, my pelvis was basically shattered. Uh, yeah, they, they never talked about it. How old were you? 31, 32, yeah. something like that. Yeah, wow. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, and then that they tell you you might not walk. That's a, that's a motivator. I don't know. I don't know if they, if they tell you that because they know that you probably will walk and they just want to look really good at what they do. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's you working for me. Yeah, I, I call a magician. What's that? You entertained everybody at the hospital, I'm sure, all day long. Uh, 
Well, you know, neon morphine. It's a, it's a real it's a real hoot. Yeah, it is. I, I, I my drug of choice. If I, have, if I get the pick. <laughs> so you know, I loved when you did your Instagram lives. Were they Instagram or Facebook? Yeah, they were. They were stories. They were. Uh, they were so wonderful. I mean, I had some. I had some very. I had some surprise people that we were going to turn it into a series, and then the accident happened. Um, but I mean, like Brian Boitano randomly. Um, <laughs> and the only reason he humored me was that uh, we were at a Chrissy Yamaguchi event and he was just being as charming as possible. And there was a cameraman and I was like, do you mind if I scoop you up into my arms? Like you're my bride crossing the threshold. And Brian Boitano was like, scoop away. So, <laughs> oh my God, so there's this, there was a great picture in this, in this magazine of me and Brian Boitano. Um, and then we just, he's coming to the restaurant a lot ever since. So, you know, that was fun. They were fun. Um, we've talked about bringing it back. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I mean, it's not as fun, like on Zoom. We don't, we don't show our videos. Okay. Just our, um, yeah, I keep forgetting to tell people ahead of time, but it's just nice to actually see people when you're talking to them versus yeah. like the phone. Yep. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, how do you get up close, you know, with someone now? Like, you have to be six feet away to have your story. But they were wonderful. They were, like, really real. And the thing that, you know, and I have the worst memory, but you're, when you would do your team, they looked up to you so much with so much respect. And wow. you treat them just with so much kindness that, you know, I can tell why you have people there from the beginning. Well, that's very sweet of you. I mean, I, I just, I, growing up in New York City restaurants and working around Europe, not just in Finland, I mean, there's, there's the old culture of the restaurant is brutal and it's mean yeah. and yeah. it's unnecessarily so. I worked for a guy named Chris Freeman on Nantucket Island and he was the nicest guy in the world. And every day he'd grab his dog and he'd grab, he'd grab a Heineken and he'd get on his sailboat and he'd sail around Nantucket Harbor in between services and come back. And he just had it right, you know? He's like, he never raised his voice. He never oh. yelled at you. He never made you feel like you weren't a valuable member of the team. And if you did something wrong, he kind of took it on himself to say, I guess I didn't show you this properly, you know? I saw that and I was like, wow, I want to be like him, you know? <laughs> because like this is, and people looked at him adoringly. My, my team, the, the thing what, was- What restaurant? Uh, toppers at the wall win it at the end of the islands. Okay, because yeah. I'm trying to think, you know, Jonathan Rupert, I don't know if you ever met him. He was oh. our director of operations for three years. Okay. He's now one of the partners at Gary's in St. Helena. Okay. But he came from Nantucket. He's oh. the same. Mm -hmm. He yeah. is the same. It wouldn't surprise me if he worked for that gentleman because Jonathan is calm all the time. I think I've only seen him get mad once. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, it was just whatever it was. But he is, yeah, it's amazing. Well, I mean, like, my, for example, there's this tagline, my, both of my boys take martial arts. And I grew up doing it as well. And there is this sort of underlying tagline, like, treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, it's such a simple thing. So basic. Um, and so that's kind of the foot with which we lead. It's just sort of like lead by example. Don't tell people what to do, show them what to do and, and guide them through the process. And then, and they'll follow you as long as, you know, as long as it makes sense. And as long as you do it with right. confidence and they realize that they're getting something out of it. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. That's one, one of the main things I love about this business is having been, I'm, you know, been doing this for 30 some odd years is to be able to give it back. And, yeah, to, and exactly. you know, 
Because the theory isn't like people always ask me, like, are you protective of your recipes? I'm like, no, take them, please, you know, mess them up, do whatever you want. Yeah. I don't care. I mean, yeah, but you know, they can't inject your love into them. Exactly. Why, I, mean, I don't like, care. They can take our recipes, but it'll never taste the way we make it. Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be better. You know, that's why I look maybe, at it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's true. But I, I just, I, I don't, you can't be that protective of, of the craft. You have to be, it has to be an open book and you have to just, be proud of what you're doing. But if you're limited to your little recipe book, then you're probably not gonna make it very far, you know? Now, speaking of recipe books, how um, did you enjoy your book process? <laughs> no, oh God, no. <laughs> that's, the, that's a heck of a question. Um, we had, a, my publisher was a small publisher that was recently acquired by Simon and & Schuster. Um, and the, it was terrifying and, the, and they, they made decisions and, we didn't totally agree and our editors were, I think they were like, they still talked about their days on the varsity cheerleading squad and we're like, come on, like work with us. Um, and, uh, and then when finally when the book came together, they made some final product decisions like that we didn't necessarily love. Um, and then when we were handed off to our publicist, she quit. And then, so we had six weeks of publicity. And then we finally, it took me another two weeks to track down the editor and say, look, we're three weeks into six weeks of, pub of publicity. Like, oh yeah, we have somebody for you. Great. So we never really had a good opportunity to get the book out there. And oddly enough, though, it was re-released this year in paperback. So. Wow, uh, that's finally, exciting. Yeah, the hard copy sold and they did a, a small run in paperback. So, you know, I get, the, I get the question a lot, are you going to do another book? And I do have an idea, but I'm just like, I'm, I don't have it in me right now. I mean, it's, it's work, it's, you know, work a 90 hour work week and then write through, and write and test recipes through the night. You know, it's like, yeah. so, I mean, the beauty of it was my wife's a photographer and she did all the, all the images. Oh, for the oh. That's great. That's so we had, yeah. So we were able to keep some pretty bizarre hours and schedules and, um, and she did a great job. It's just the, the publisher was very challenging. And because we were first timers, we were definitely treated like it. And, <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to send them like gummy bears and things like that to keep them on our side because yeah. I don't know, I'm just being a jerk now. But anyway, they, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, we, we had Simon and Schuster first. Okay. And uh, we were definitely, yeah, we were deer in headlights. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's no, just, it's, you don't know. Like when you say, when they say, okay, your deadline is da 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 da. And like you really believe it. Like that is the deadline. Are you going to make the deadline? Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, yeah, I couldn't do another one either. Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got an odd question about I saw a video of you doing um, a dish. It was, I think, in the restaurant you did grilled octopus, but for the, for this, uh, particular demonstration you were basically pan searing it and it was with like a lobster sauce um, oh yes but something that struck me as odd was your pans all of your saute pans weren't round they were like oblong and I don't know if that was just from years of them getting beat up or if it was just the angle or is that the angle no I remember yeah we had so I have like I probably have half a dozen pans for whenever we've done any sort of live video because the pans that we have are the same horrifying looking things that everyone has. They're <laughs> aluminum, they're right. deep hell, the panels are just about to fall off. So I keep in the office sort of the wrapped in linen ones that 
Um, but yeah, the angle, and I remember that video and the angle was really weird. It was low and it was shooting kind of up, so. And it made them look um, oblong. Like they, mm -hmm. And I thought maybe this is some technique that I've never heard of that it's this particular, I thought it was some new kind of pan. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but you have a heck of an eye for detail, so. Yeah, he remembers everything. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, Chef, will you will you talk a little bit about your just sort of your philosophy on on fish, though, um, yeah. for people that that haven't read the book or don't know um, about sustainable fish? Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 I think the the tenets of sustainability and what we have to focus on really is that is it like it's twenty percent of the world's the oxygen we breathe comes from the ocean. So if that's not enough reason to take care of the oceans, then I don't know what is. Um, and if you don't eat fish, well, that's fine. But over a billion people on the planet rely on fish as their primary source of protein. So that's another one. And the, to dispel this, this foolish understanding that, well, you know, if we, if we keep eating all this wild fish, there won't be any fish left in the sea. That's nonsense. And what people really need to understand is that they need to dispel this notion that there isn't enough there, there aren't enough fish in the sea, there are. We just need to lower our dependency on the, on the premiums. The salmon, tuna, swordfish, mm -hmm. halibut problem needs to stop. I mean, there are more lanternfish on planet Earth. The biomass of lanternfish is greater than that of whales on the planet. And you can find them on the, on the menus in Eastern Europe, Russia, and China. They eat them. They taste like bass. But we won't really? touch them. Do stuff. we have them? We don't. There, there's, there is zero market for it in the States. Um, what do they look they like? Little, they look like very small bass. And they have a little angler kind of thing. Huh. Um, and it's, it's whale food, basically. But, um, and we, we could be eating these, but we don't. Um, and then the other, the other big thing is, you know, our dependency on premium fish does a number on the seasonality of, of fishermen. You know, like the crab fisher can't just go out in November and, and, and trap crabs for a few months and expect to make a living year round. They have to do other stuff. So we have to really focus on what's seasonally available and what's regulated properly. Um, and we need to stop importing so much fish. I mean, every time I, even I go to Whole Foods and you have the MSC certified fish counter. Well, first of all, the MSC certification is for sale. You can buy that. So that's, that's what Whole Foods did. And if you read the tags, farm-raised Thailand, farm-raised Vietnam, frozen from Norway. And I'm like, look, you realize we're in Northern California. Right. We have an ocean. The ocean's right there, <laughs> you know? So this, this, this foolish dependency and, and uh, is, is just not so, focusing on what's local and, and supporting your local fishermen is the most important thing. And then the other thing is to try new things. I mean, if people could do that, that would be very helpful. And then lastly, and this is very, questionable, and I know the debate is still on the table, and I had it with um, somebody from the James Beard Foundation recently, the same argument, where they're promoting aquaculture. And aquaculture does have a place. Um, aquaculture has a place, sort of. Um, but when you take it, <laughs> you have a giant tank. So for example, in these, in these alpine lakes of New Zealand, where they're raising salmon, and they're able to run the rivers they would normally run and end up in these lakes, but they're confined. That version of aquaculture that doesn't affect the groundwater and doesn't create an imbalance in the population size or the, their ability. I don't know if you heard about the salmon seeding that happened in Alaska. So they seeded all these rivers in Alaska with these salmon hatchlings and they all died because they're born with this sort of like geosensing ability to swim down a river, remember where they were born and swim back, spawn and keep stocks at a proper level. 
um, all this farm raising nonsense affects the groundwater. They feed them this stuff called fish, fish meat. And fish meat is made out of chicken bones primarily. And the last time I checked in nature, the fish aren't eating chicken, you know? <laughs> so there's something fundamentally wrong with it. Um, and then what's getting better on the planet, which I think is really compelling, is the methods of, of fishing and people's awareness of bycatch, which is a big problem. I mean, the shrimping industry in the Gulf of Mexico was decimating turtle populations. Um, and then a lot of these trawl lines that have 50 hooks and they'll just catch whatever. And if they're out there hooking, call it lingcod and they happen to get all this stuff they don't even know what it is, it just ends up dead and unused. And so it's, it's very wasteful, you know? Um, so I think just the, the, the method of catch diversifying what we buy, supporting the local fishermen, and having a better understanding of what aquaculture means. Because if it's some trout that was from Idaho and there are these 20,000 gallon overpopulated things, the, the quality of the water is not there. The, the product is disgusting and it is damaging the standing groundwater. So I mean, you, it, it, it's having a negative environmental effect as well as you're, you're essentially focusing on something that's either from Idaho or Norway or Israel or Vietnam. Meanwhile, you have fishermen from Half Moon Bay to Bodega Bay that need the support a hell of a lot more than these farms than these fish farms do. That's what I think. Matt, yeah. what, what, could, what could we <laughs> <That's> buy? <great. laughs> like we have a fisherman who brings us salmon from mm -hmm. Bodega Bay and I mean, he doesn't, he offers us halibut when it's halibut season, but that's really it. Okay. What would we ask for? I mean, there's a good amount of like, so I know it's, I know they usually trap catch black cod, but black cod or sable fish, I mean, they- Yeah, we, get, we get black cod too. Okay, we, good. Yeah. Um, and then rock cod, I mean, the rock cod speed, the rock cod populations around San Francisco Bay leading up to Bodega are pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. Quite a lot of rock cod. And I think it comes with sort of a stigma. Um, that rock cod is sort of a lesser fish, which is nonsense because it's delicious. delicious. Yeah, it's cleaner, and you have to be careful when you cook it. You know. Yeah. Um, so maybe the method of cooking is also what scares people off because any investment banker can throw a piece of salmon on a grill and probably get it to medium without too much effort. You know. Um, but yeah, you give them a nice thin piece of rock cod with the skin on it. And <laughs> You know, say so just don't, don't forget to sure the phones are pulled out and you know, yeah. gonna stick to the grill and already they're like, yeah. I'll just have the salmon, that's fine. Yeah. So um I don't know. I think I think that's I think it's like one thing that I was doing for a while is I, I started selling them whole roasted with just a garnish bar and I couldn't keep them in the dining room. Main dining room, white tablecloth kind of service, and here's a whole rock cod with a a, a bunch of different sauces and side dishes. And it became a sharing thing, but they were flying out of the kitchen. And it was cool because we didn't have any real waste. Right. And people would always say, oh, I want to take this home and try to make a fish stock or a soup. And we're like, great. <laughs> so, you know, full total utilization. Um, but I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the local stuff, we really, really focus. I mean, I, I focus mainly on like rock cod and then just the seasons, you know. Um, and then there was somebody was catching ocean trout a few months ago mm -hmm. um, that was coming up way up north and then almost near Oregon. But they were beautiful. They didn't have much of it. So I think also if, if restaurant chefs can maybe get their mind around putting on a uh, the local fish and not the catch of the day, but essentially the catch of the day, right. you know, 
Um, right, because fishermen aren't going to go fish it if they don't think they can sell it. And exactly. So it's like those conversations are so critical. I think so too, and I think I think just the flexibility and getting your staff. One thing we did was was we got our staff excited about it. Mm -hmm. So we would do these little lineup notes where they would have, this is the cheese and charcuterie available today. This is the amused bouche today. This is these are the fishes we have and the sizes and how many they serve. So the staff would go out there and we'd give them little notes on the flavor profile. So when the staff went to the to the table, they would start talking it up, and then oftentimes people would say, "Well, can I see them?" Well, sure, why not? Throw <laughs> on a piece of parchment paper and cover up a disgusting sheet tray and go for it. And then you know, but then people, other people in the dining room see that and they're like, "Well, this is kind of fun," you know. And it's that old 1980s. You walk into the lobster, the, the ye old lobster pot, yeah. and they're all swimming there. You're like, "Oh, it's that one, <laughs> exactly." But they, but usually restaurants, they just keep bringing the same Pekin duck out to the table all right. night long it's the same uh, one sandra it, that's so funny that you say that because at um at the grand wailea on maui you know they have this restaurant uh humu humu where they have the lobsters around the restaurant the restaurant's sort of in the middle and the water is around and supposedly you you pick out the one you want and they go they go with a net and they scoop it out well we all had friends that worked there so we knew that that, that, that guy came out of the net and then right back in the water and they just pulled the one that they already had ready to go <laughs> people loved it they loved the you know the kids were like i want that one <laughs> i mean people yeah. still like this is the thing that as we recover in this business i think you know one thing that i also always loved about it too i mean when i was a kid my, my dad was a was an in international law so he, we moved to london and there was this italian restaurant down the street from where we lived in london and it was a, it was a husband and wife combo from italy and the wife would come out and she'd pinch our cheeks and kiss us and she would flirt with us almost and and they remembered what we had and they'd get into a fight half the time in the dining room and it was just it was entertainment there was a show you know and over the years i've seen restaurants especially in san francisco they, the show's kind of going away it's more like it becomes a little hipstery and it becomes a little bit more of an attitude and it becomes more of these very heady kind of restaurant experiences and the show went away and i i think the show needs to come back a little bit, you know? Uh, you just reminded me of a, God, my mom would go to this thing in the city, uh, down on the, Teatro Zanzini. Is that, oh, is that what it's yeah, yeah, right on the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how are they going to survive? They're not. I mean, <laughs> that's full-on interaction in your lap, in your face. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's true. That, it's a great question because that's I That's dinner theater. Dinner theater. Yeah. Good old dinner theater. Yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't know. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So hopefully we survive this and um, hopefully PPP comes around. Hopefully, you know, I do believe that our guests and, you know, the loyal clientele that we've had over the years, they want to see us make it. Mm -hmm. They're doing what they can. We can't expect people to all of a sudden eat out every single night and support every restaurant every day. You know, the, the interesting thing is because Sonoma and other places like here were tourist based. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you have 30, 40 restaurants in a town of 10,000, um, you know, you, you, there's not enough to go around. But when you have, you know, 20,000 people showing up every day and, you know, there's people everywhere, it makes sense. So, you know, getting people to come back out. And yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. 
Yeah. It, it, it's going to have to happen. People yeah. people can't carry on like this forever. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be there going to be growing pains, but I, I, I as long as you're willing to, to weather the storm and deal with the growing pains, I think. I, I mean, I, I have every intention of making it through this. You know, yeah, no, so no, do I. So no do I. What. Yeah. Oh. May not look the same, but yeah. it's gonna be there. Oh, I think the days of the days of caviar service and oh yeah, and lobster are a thing of the past. And mm -hmm. I'm already. I mean, quite frankly, my menu right now is is nuts. I, mean, I never thought I'd be making chicken wraps and slinging pizzas, but I'm making chicken wraps and slinging pizzas, yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. it's working. You know, for now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you, when you look at Canlis, you know, turn their restaurant into burger drive-through, and you look at uh, Alinea, you know, going from a three hundred and fifty-dollar menu to, you know, a forty-dollar menu, and you know, people are going to do what they have to do. I mean, even even Renee Redzippi at Noma. Oh my Copenhagen. God! Burger and a beer. Burger and a beer. Love it! <laughs> I love it. At the world's number one restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's. It has to tell you something. So actually, you know, I appreciate him doing that a lot because I think it—he's so well respected in the industry. I think it gives a lot of people permission. I think so too. Oh, and also, yeah, and, and for people, I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that doesn't totally need validation, but right. they—but uh, to see that, I can think of some of the people that are, especially these younger chefs and younger restaurant owners that are watching him. You know, and mm -hmm. what's he going to do next? And they're so right. in awe that makes them feel better. Yeah, I think so. Hopefully encourages yeah. them to stay in the game. Yeah. So where, what, when can people get your food right now? Uh, we're doing, we're Tuesday through Saturday. Um, and we are from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. And we're on, I don't think we missed one. We're on Caviar, DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Chow Now. I'm forgetting one. Um, and, uh, and we're gonna whittle that down soon because some are some work great and others don't. Right. Um, but uh, but for now the the platforms have been really helpful. Normally they they take a, a sizable percentage. Yeah, um, everybody, San Francisco put a cap, right? Uh, I don't know if that did that go through. But maybe I it thought, did. Maybe I that's why they're being nice. Yeah, I thought they put a fifteen percent cap on. In that's where we're. That's where we are. I think, it, but that's okay. temporary. Okay. Oh, probably. Yeah. Probably. So. Yeah. But I mean, 15%, we, were, we still weren't doing those margins when yeah. we were open, but I also don't have a staff, so I'll roll with it, you know? Yeah. 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 Jeff, right. uh, quick quick question. Where are you at with uh, plant-based uh, foods and, and where where you think that's going? I don't know. I, I'm too old-fashioned to really dig my teeth into that one. Or, um, I don't know. It's I think it's going to be first in line and behind it was the paleo craze and behind that was i remember once upon a time the atkins diet and yep. i think it's it's just another this is why I, and i've been saying this for a long time but this is why i kind of just stick to my guns and you know i i i love having a menu that has fish and meat and vegetarian and vegan and if you come in and you say here's my list of dietary restrictions we don't wince we say great might just take a few extra minutes, but we'd thank you for being here, you know? So, I mean, the plant-based diets, uh, we were talking about doing that with our dog, but then she growled at us. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the plant-based plant diets, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I think, I think there are so many benefits for health and for the environment. Um, and so it, it has a compelling argument, but 
there's just too many there are too many meat eaters out there you know and yeah. so yeah. i don't know all right, so how about this? Give me the perfect Not a great answer, sorry. No, no, that's good. I want to know, because I think ham and cheese is kind of, I mean, ham and cheese sandwich would probably be one of your faves. I want to know what's the perfect recipe? What kind of cheese? What kind of bread? Okay, this is, this, okay, this is an easy one. Um, <laughs> so a, a beautiful sour levain is my bread, and the cheese would be a comté, uh, like a, a nice 12 to 16 month comté. And I'm sticking, I'm staying in France, probably I married a, a French person, so this is, I'm a bit biased, but um, at the Jambon de Paris, the, that beautiful, it's that pressed boiled ham that's just, that actually tastes like pork. Oh, and, you, and I mean, at that point, just really good butter, yeah. uh, and, and I'm done, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all set. Yeah. All right. And a beer, that's, obviously. And a, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So 25lust.com? Yep, 25lust.com. That's where you can find us. Okay. If you're inspired. We're also uh, every Saturday in Glen Ellen, um, the people of Flatbed Farm uh, on, on Highway 12. Sure. Are they, the owners of that farm are also my investors. So we oh, do a... actually, uh, I forgot to ask you about that. Yeah, Flatbed's open on, on Saturday. I know uh, Jeff, Jeff is doing... Four or a coffee. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Jeff yeah. and um. I forgot. I, mean, I know. know. Yes, and such a cute saying, couple. Oh my gosh, they're so adorable. Emily. Yeah. Well, Emily. Yeah. Um. So if people are in Sonoma County and listening to this, and they want to shoot over to Glen Allen and see what's at the farm stand, um, there's a way. I'm gonna. I can't remember how. But there's a way to sign up and we do a couple of different meal kits that you can order on Friday and then you can pick them up on Saturday. So wow, nice. where do you order? Do you order at Flatbed or do you order at your place? I, I, am, I wish I knew. Okay. Um, that's I, believe it's, I believe it's, <laughs> I think you go to Flatbed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. And now the, the owners of Flatbed, also my investors are probably going to listen to this and be like, nice job, you dummy. <laughs> No, this is good because this it's makes awesome. people curious and then they yeah. go search it out themselves. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Right on. Exactly. Let them do a little work. People like to, they, they like when you leave them a crumb and they can kind of follow the trail. <laughs> and I love that dog. Oh my God, that dog monster that's out there. That dog is, the, don't they have a, like a Pyrenees or something? Oh, it's a doodle of some sort. Oh yes. my God, it's so fabulous. It's a giant pillow. Giant, giant, <laughs> like a bear. It does like a bear. It's like a, yeah. it's like a cartoon character, really. You know, it's exactly. amazing. Oh, well, that's really cool. I forgot. And and actually, I mean, oh, my God. You know, they lost that most of that property during the fires. They and, did. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the farm was pretty much saved or partially saved. Partially saved. But they, they yeah. put some time into uh, to replanting. and or yeah. They're back up and running, so good for them, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well... I have a feeling you probably have to go cook. I should run, yes. <laughs> yes. But this is, it's been fun, and, and, and thank you so much. Oh, my God, thank you. I'll send you a letter with the details. Please do. And, uh, yeah, the best. And if, if people want a copy of the book, uh, Simply Fish, they can just go... Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or you can go to Flatbed Farm and pick them up on Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning because they, oh, they have a few copies up there, too. Nice. And get a, get a pour-over coffee from Flora Coffee while you're there. There you go. 
Yeah. Right on. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. All right, Sandra, Brian. Thanks very much. You bet. Thank you, Chef. This has been The Bike Goes On. If you want to check out some of our past episodes, hit our website, thebikegoeson.com. If for some reason you can't find that, you can go to radiomisfits.com and search The uh, Bike Goes On there as well. And all of your platforms are readily available. We got lots of platforms. Did you see that Joe Rogan is moving over to Spotify? Spotify. Yes. And that's it. It's supposed to be a 50 or 250 mil deal. Yes, some crazy amount of money. I don't think anyone knows. But anyway, that's going to be us next. We're next. He's created, like, he's created space. I know. <laughs> like, I was wondering when that was going to happen for us. Hey, Spotify, if you're listening, we'll, yeah. take, we'll take half that. Yeah, and we'll work harder. And then we can close. <laughs> that's right. We'll work twice as hard. There's two of us. Exactly. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been The Bike Goes On. We'll look forward to talking to you next week.